You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Terry Riley, which is titled, Why Be Faithful to God? For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. What I really want to do today is just kind of talk to you about... Um, you know, what do you, what do you, what, I mean, the Bible, it's the Bible. What do you say when you got, you know, kind of your last time? So I thought about it and I think this is what I'm going to say. Why be faithful to God? Why, why, why do this thing? I don't want to be a casual follower of Jesus. I know, you know, everyone thinks I'm going to probably golf like, I don't know, 10 days a week now. But I, I, I'm not. I, I love golf. It's fun. But I've got to have a little bit something more in my life. How much time do I, I got? 23 minutes. I'm going to take a little bit longer. Okay, just give me a little time today. I'm not going to take a lot of time. But um, I, I love I love doing stuff. But I, I've got other assignments that are coming. And I don't want to be a casual follower of Jesus. And I think that's probably what I would say to you today, too. I don't want you to be a casual follower of Jesus. I've noted this a couple of times, very briefly, just kind of blown by it. You've heard the words. But the reason that I want to talk to you today is because this is such a relevant and a prevalent issue taking place in the church today. We are living in a time when so many people are walking away from the faith. Uh, the word they're using now is people are deconstructing their faith. They're breaking it down, working it through. And then there's another group of people that after they have deconstructed their faith, if they want to stick around in the church, they are reconstructing their faith. The problem is, is they're reconstructing it with their ideas and their thoughts that because God loves me, Jesus loves me, this I know, it must not matter how I live. So they are reconstructing and really saying, well, God didn't really mean that in the Bible and blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's a lot of people in this. Uh, some of these people I've never heard of, but some of them you probably have, and there's others that I have. A former Desiring God contributor, Christian author and theologian, Paul Maxwell. He released a, a video in uh, April of this year saying that he is no longer a Christian anymore. I mean, this is a bright guy. I was listening to him on a YouTube thing. I couldn't even understand a word he said hardly. Theologian. Uh, Abraham Piper, the son of the well-known theologian and evangelical preacher John Piper, uses his TikTok page to really kind of post deconstructionist videos. I Kiss Dating Goodbye author Joshua Harris has basically turned his back and says that everything I said was a bunch of whatever and don't follow it because it was harmful to people. And he has deconstructed his faith. Hillsong's worship musician, uh, Marty Sampson and Hawk Nelson's John uh, Steingart have all recently renounced their faith. Popular Christian influencer Joseph Solomon has re uh, renounced his faith. But it's really nothing new. 
I mean, just go back to the New Testament and you'll see people. Paul is, if you go to the end of his epistles, his letters to the church, he's always talking about people like Demas who left me because he loved the world more. Alexander the coppersmith because he betrayed me and walked away from God. Uh, obviously, we're all familiar with Judas who walked away. There are so many shipwrecks of the faith. And so today I wanted to just kind of remind you, why be faithful? Why be faithful to this thing called the church and to Christianity? We've been in the book of Joshua for the last four, four weeks, and I, uh, I want to skip to the very end. Joshua leads this people into the promised land. They get there, and they have to battle. They have to fight. They have to win battles. It isn't just, hey, kesera, serah, enjoy it, kick back, uh, have a drink with an umbrella in it on your recliner. They had to work. They had to fight. They had to continue to battle. And at the end... Joshua gives an altar call to Israel. In chapter 24, verse 15, he stands before them and this is what he says. You know what? Today, you can make a decision. You're either going to serve the idols of the Gibbosites or the Jerusites or whatever group. He lists a couple of groups and then he says, but here, I want to tell you as my leader, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Boom, mic drop. Okay? That's what Joshua says to these people. It's almost as if he gets in their grill and he says, make a decision today. Whose side are you going to be on? And I think that I would uh, be forceful, be strong, and come and say the same thing. I want to look at a man. His name is Asaph. He was a worship leader under David, the great psalmist. And he's writing from his heart and he's ready to throw in the towel. And then by the time he's done, he starts to give some reasons why we should be faithful to God. This passage impressed me one time. I was sitting right over there in a seminar here at the church and it's Psalm 73. And while the seminar was going on, I was reading Psalm 73. And I was going to give it to you, but I, I don't have time. But I have this great outline. And I've never preached from this psalm. I don't preach much from the psalms. But I never preached from this psalm. But it's so impacted me. And uh, so today I'm going to. It's not the outline that I wrote down, but it's a little simpler. Psalm 73, if you would follow with me in verse 1, I'm going to read all 28 verses. Asaph, a worship leader with David. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. We all know that God is good. He is. I think it comes from this spot right here. He's good. Tell your neighbor, tell your friend, God is good. And Asaph's coming to this place, though. You pick it up in verse 2, and he says, But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud. And when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness, kind of ticked me off. 
They seem to live such painless lives and their bodies are always so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. Those fat cats have something, have everything their hearts could ever wish for. Do you pick up what he's saying here? He's looking around at these people. The wicked as they would define them and say, man, they've got it all. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and they're confused, drinking in all their words. They're saying things like, what does God know? As a matter of fact, they asked, does the Most High even know what's going on? Look at all these wicked people enjoying a life of ease as their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Have you ever been there? Is what I'm doing, is it really the right way? Is it a good thing? Excuse me. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. Pick that up a little bit. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. And then I went into your sanctuary, O oh God, and finally understand the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path. Now, kind of juxtapose verse 18 with verse 2, where Asaph says, I'm losing my footing. I'm slipping. But then he says, oh, no, truly, God, you put them on a slippery path and you send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O oh Lord, you laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. And man, I was just all torn up inside. Oh, I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless beast to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom I have, whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. But God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. Why does he end like that? Because of how he started. Why does he finish that? psalm that way because of the way the psalm started. God is good. Never forget that, loved ones. Here's the sad thing. I know that if I come back here in a year or six months when I'm probably going to be able to, there will be some of you that will not be here. Am I being negative? No. I know the human condition. Some of you will do exactly what Asaph has done. You'll go, oh, is God really good? I mean, man, look at all these other losers out there that are prospering and getting ahead, and I'm stuck in this place. 
And you'll begin to deconstruct God is good. You'll begin to destruct, uh, uh, deconstruct your faithfulness to the living God. Because as you read this, you see, well, these people, they don't believe in God. Look at all these people that are far from God. Man, they don't have any struggles, problems with health, worries. And then, you know what, God, I mean, look at them. They're stinking arrogant. They don't need anything. They don't think they, they think they've got everything. They look up and they say, they look to heaven, they go, who's God? I mean, is he, what's he on the heavenly veranda, just kind of watching over and letting everything go to in a handbasket? <laughs> I mean, they're even, listen, verse 9, they say, they're even defiant toward God. Verse 12, they think God doesn't have a clue of what's going on. So Asaph is doing what so many Christ followers can do. They begin to look around and compare their life and situations to others, and they begin to complain. And he begins to bellyache. And he says, I'm not experiencing the good life like everybody else. And that's always a problem, loved ones, hear me. It's always a problem when you begin to look around and you forget to look up. And you say, God's good. That's my confession, regardless of what's going on in me, around me, through me, or in my life. And these people, you and I, all of us, we can start thinking, what's the use? Why bother following and staying faithful to God? People have got it better than I do. Why should I do it? Asaph is saying in verses 12 and 13, God, I'm wondering if it's just worth it to be faithful. I'm not feeling it anymore. Nothing's coming my way. Maybe all of this, this faith walk is in vain living for you, God. Have you ever thought that? Where you just kind of want to go, I just, that's too much work. It's too hard, too difficult, too whatever. What I love about the Bible is it comes up with all of these major questions, conundrums. And then if you stick with it, it will answer them for you. So Asaph goes on to say, God, why do I do this? Why should, it, why should I continue? And then he answers his own questions, even when he doubts. I'll give you three reasons to remain faithful to God, even when others are moving forward and you're not, even when others are receiving so much and you're not. Why keep moving forward? Number one, I know that my life has an effect on others. Verse 15, he says, if I had, if I had really spoken this to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. All this negative. Some of your translations talk about, I would not speak this to children and the next generation. Why? Because he knows that it's his life, his words, the way that he lives is going to have an effect on the generations. Uh, there's a lot of us here today that are older. Some of us are moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas. And let me just say to you, hear me. A reason to be faithful is because your life can affect the generations to come. And sometimes we forget about the concentric spiritual circles that flow out from our life. Sometimes we forget about the influence that we can have. It's not always evident in the present, but it's always going to be there in the future if we stay faithful. 
Asaph knew that if he turned his back on God, that there's this potential domino effect that can begin to take place. And they just begin to fall. First it's one, then it's another. Somebody else is deconstructing their faith. There's so many platform people deconstructing their faith. And you read the comments when they're posted in these different places that I read. And you see all of these people. You know what they're saying? Because of those people's influence, they say things. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this too. Yeah, you know, I've been praying about Yeah, you know, I'm not so sure about God. Yeah, I've been looking at this stuff. I've been studying this stuff. And I'm doubting. And I just go, my goodness, who are you going to listen to? Um, a little insight to Pastor George. He used to be a rapper. (laughs) And we didn't want to tell you that before we voted on him, but a rapper he was. And so we're, you know, doing, Jake, great job. Thank you for the video. um, We did one for Pastor George, and it's got some DC talk in it because that's kind of from his era. (laughs) But as I was looking at all the songs by DC talk, they have this one that's called What If I Stumble? Says this, the greatest single cause, I thought about, can can you you, give me a rap sound? Maybe I'll, no, don't, I'm not going to do it. That's Pastor George's gig. Uh, This is the words, some of the words. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving would simply, that's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. What if I stumble? What if I fall? Hear me, loved ones. When we lose our step, when we stumble, when we move away from God, it's always going to affect others, especially those who aren't strong of faith. The lesson is simple enough. We live for God. And when we do that, there's a much greater possibility and probability that the generations will follow. And some of us, we have kids that maybe aren't following, but we don't know. Don't give up. Don't start wondering, is it worth it? Don't start wondering, uh, is my life going to make a difference? Because it will. It might not be till after you're gone. But remember, it'll make a difference. When I taught school, I was planting a church in, in Manteca and I went back and I got my uh, teaching credential and, and uh, I was at a teacher's in-service where they give us training and I was, I was teaching junior high students at this time and, I, and, and there was this quote by a guy named, uh, he's an education researcher um, that uh, by his name is Neil Postman and I heard this quote and it, it, it just like a smack alongside the head. I mean, it's nothing like big, but on that moment, it moved me. This is what it said. Children are the living messages we send to a time we will not see. It gave me, it was, it was probably about a year before I came here, it gave me a grander vision for what I was doing in terms of teaching junior high students. Everybody knew that I was a pastor. I had this incredible principal, Joseph Cook, who gave me so much freedom teaching history, world history, and U.S. history. 
Everybody knew I was a pastor. I got to talk about Jesus. It was incredible. But this quote, it just began to shape my thinking. And by the time I came here, I realized that the, one of the, we have to have an incredible youth ministry and an incredible children's ministry. Because those are the people that we're sending to a time that you and I will not see. And we have to have that kind of a vision, loved ones. And we have to have the kind of vision that says how I walk and how I live is going to affect people. Why do people serve kids for years? Our own Scotty McConnell, he is an unabashed advocate for children and children's ministry. He's been doing it for decades, and he's been doing it for years here at Creekside. Listen, people have told me that he doesn't watch the worship. He, doesn't, he didn't watch you online, and parents didn't either. Parents tuned in after you were done to watch Scotty. You know, he's that good. But he loves your kids. And he's retired. And he continues to serve them. Why does he do it? Because he knows he is speaking to children. Living message of Jesus Christ. And he's sending those kids to a time he will never see. How many of you have been influenced by somebody? I can tell you who my second grade Sunday school teacher was. She gave me my first Bible, Ardella Morris. And that was so important because within a year, I would not be in Sunday school anymore until I started going to church as a senior in high school. But I had that Bible with my name embossed on it because I memorized John 14, 1 through 6. I probably shouldn't even do this, but if you don't like it, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I don't, I mean, you're all here. You, most of you. Most of you probably like me. <laughs> I was talking last week about monuments. Let me give you another monument. I, I've, I've got so many in my life. Uh, uh, some of the things that you have written me, I've got them. It sounds bad, but sometimes I just go read some of them because it tells me, you know, you're all right. You're not as bad as some think. <laughs> you're really a pretty good guy. I told you I taught junior high at uh, a place called Nile Garden School, public school in Manteca. Three years or four years after I had uh, been here, I got this letter. Hello. I don't know if you remember me or not, but my name is Michelle Van Loos. I was a student at Nile Garden School my eighth grade year, and I was a transfer from Bayside Middle School in San Mateo. Of course, that was in 1992, almost four years ago. I had you for history, and I so enjoyed your class, although I never told you so. I am writing after all this long period of time to tell you what an impact you had on me when you talked about Pastor Martin Luther King and his dream. I will never forget it. I'm doing well now. I'm getting ready to move through high school, but I'm being I'm in theater and I'm in art, and uh, I'm being considered uh, for scholarship to be able to go to MIT or Duke. And I just wanted you to know, and there's said a lot more, 
See, hear me, loved ones. Your life is influencing people. And you don't even know it. And all of a sudden, somebody's going to come out of the blue and they go, you know, when you did that, when you said that, that's why it is so critical. Hear me, loved ones. That's why it's so important that we stay faithful to the things of God and what he has for us. I don't want to stumble. I don't want to slide. I don't want to slip. More than ever, we need role models. I love seeing older people get baptized who've let it slide. And all of a sudden, there's this conviction in their life that they say, I've got to jump into the pools, the waters of baptism. Why? Because when I do that, I declare my commitment to Jesus Christ and to his church. And that's why we always have these little kids come in here from their class to watch us celebrate baptism. So they see young and old alike making a statement, making a stand, getting dunked in the name of Jesus. Because it affects them. That's the reason people go to our Mexico mission trips. That's the reason so many of our people or some of our people serve the homeless outreach, work in schools. Things that you do, loved ones, to minister to your neighbors, to build community, to share the word of Jesus because you understand you are an influencer. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. I remember speaking at Eugene Mission. You ever spoke at a mission? Maybe I don't know if you know, I don't know if they have them around here, but speak at a mission. You, all these people, homeless people, they come in off the streets, and you're going to preach to them. They always have college students because they got to learn somehow. So they bring these people in, and they're sitting there, and they sit down because they have to sit through this to get fed. So by the time they sing one song and the preacher stands up, guess what they're doing? <laughs> I mean, it's like sit down, take a nap, and you got to preach to that. But you know what? You do it. You know why you do it? Because you're faithful. Remember the prophet Jeremiah? He preached for 40 years and there's no record of anybody turning from the gods and the idols of that day to his message of God loves you. He was faithful. We still read about him today. So Asaph says, I want you to stay faithful, not only because you're going to affect the people around you, but because he knew sin produces pain and it produces problems. I mean, you can't read verses 16 through 20 without seeing that. What does he say there? So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. Man, I, can't, I couldn't figure it out. It was too hard. Then I went to the sanctuary. I went to church. And all of a sudden, God started speaking to me, and it made sense. And I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. He says, truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff of destruction. Now, God doesn't really do that, I don't believe. I think it's because people make their decisions to not follow God, and that's where they go. But he says, that's what happens. In an instant, they're destroyed, completely swept away, swept away by terrors. Oh, but then you arise, oh Lord. And he begins to gain this perspective. 
And he sees that living this way that he was enamored with in the first 12 verses, he begins to get this revelation and understanding that, you know what? Ultimately, it just produces more trouble, more pain, more difficulties, and more problem. And he goes into the sanctuary, the church, and God speaks to him. And he sees the destruction, the slippery slope. He says, as a matter of fact, they live like they're in a dream. They awaken, and, and Asaph is reminding himself of all of this, that a life without God is a slippery slope. It takes you nowhere. A lot of times you think you can have anything and everything without God, but ultimately you will have virtually nothing at all. That's what Asaph is saying. I mean, just consider people in history who seem to have it all, from Ernest Hemingway to Marilyn Monroe to Kurt Cobain to Anthony Bourdain. I mean, just go through the list of people that have committed suicide or died of an overdose or done whatever. They thought they had it all. They thought that they wanted what they wanted and could have in life, but it never satisfied. They chose to pursue these things and they sold their soul. And all they did is become filled with more pain, more problems, more trouble. And they couldn't carry on or they couldn't go on. And verse 20 says, when you arise, oh Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as people laugh at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. And I was all torn up inside. Hear me. I, I, this isn't part of it, but I want you just to note this. That's what happens to people when you begin to look around and you get upset because Joe Schmo over here is getting this or Billy Bob over there is receiving that. And you're not. As you begin to become resentful, envious, and bitter. And it will affect the way you see life. So Asaph gains perspective. How does he do that? He says, when I went into the sanctuary, I begin to understand. And he realized that to live without God, to live without being faithful to God, ultimately will give you more problems and pain. Sin, hear me, loved ones, you know this. You've seen it in people around you. Some of us are sitting here and we've experienced in our life, sin is a tough taskmaster. I love what someone said. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. And that's the story of so many people that we see and know. That's the story of so many people, even that have been at Creekside, and all of a sudden they're here today, gone tomorrow. Okay, and I know this bothers some of you too, but oh well. <laughs> it's another sports analogy. But stick with it, it's a good one. This year, April 2021, they drafted the most college quarterbacks in the NFL that they had for years. It was only the third time in the history of the National Football League that the first three picks drafted were three quarterbacks. It was Trevor Lawrence by the Jacksonville Jaguars, Zach Wilson by the New York Jets, and Troy, uh, Troy Lance by your San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, Oakland, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, whoever you are, wherever you are. 
just one last time, you know. Let me take you back to another draft. 1945. God's in heaven and he's making a draft. He's drafting a new crop of evangelists. Best crop he's ever had. Guess who was drafted? First pick, his name was Chuck. Chuck Templeton. The second pick, Clifford Braun. And the third pick, Billy Graham. Billy Graham was 27 years old. He comes out of the chute. He is this wildfire of preaching evangelism. He's filling auditoriums <coughs> with Chuck Templeton. They're filling auditoriums together with 30,000 people, 30,000 youth. Graham is hired as a full-time evangelist for a new Christian group called Youth for Christ. His reputation as a gifted preacher is spreading wildfire across the United States. Interestingly enough, his two friends, he was a really good friend with Chuck Templeton and a good friend of Braun Clifford. These three guys are off the charts, dynamic men of God. Let me read you their story. I don't do this a lot, but this is so good. You've heard of Billy Graham, but have you ever heard of Chuck Templeton or Braun Clifford? Billy Graham wasn't the only preacher filling auditoriums in 1945. Chuck Templeton and Braun Clifford were accomplishing the same thing and more. All of these three young men were in their mid-twenties. One was uh, one seminary president after hearing Chuck Templeton preach one evening to an audience of thousands called him the most gifted and talented man in America today that's preaching. Templeton and Graham were friends. Both ministered for Youth for Christ. Both were extraordinary preachers. Yet in these earlier years, most observers would probably have told you and put money on Templeton as being the biggest big-timer. As a matter of fact, in 1946, the National Association of Evangelicals published an article on men who were being used of God in their organizations uh, in a five-year existence. The article highlighted the ministry of Chuck Templeton. Billy Graham was never even mentioned. Templeton, many felt, would be the next Babe Ruth of evangelism. Braun Clifford was another gifted 25-year-old fireball. In 1945, many believed that Clifford was the most gifted and powerful preaching the church had ever seen in centuries. In that same year, Clifford preached to an auditorium of thousands in Miami, Florida. People lined up 10 and 12 deep outside the auditorium just trying to get in. Later that same year, Clifford was preaching in the chapel at Baylor University. The president ordered class bells turned off so that the young man could minister without interruption to the student body. For two hours and 15 minutes, he kept the students on the edge of their seats and he preached on the subject Christ and the philosopher's stone. At the age of 25, young Clifford touched more lives, influenced more leaders, and set more attendance records than any other clergyman his age in American history. National leaders vied for his attention. He was tall, he was handsome, he was intelligent and eloquent. 
Hollywood invited him to audition for the part of Marcellus in the movie The Robe. It seemed as if he had everything. Graham, Templeton, Clifford, God's called ones. In 1945, all three came shooting out of the starting blocks like rockets. Just five years later, Chuck Templeton left the ministry to pursue a career as a radio and television commentator and newspaper columnist. Templeton had then decided he was no longer a believer in Christ in the orthodox sense of the term. By 1950, the future of the Babe Ruth of evangelism wasn't even in the game and no longer believed in the validity of the claims and witness of Jesus Christ. What about Clifford? By 1954, Clifford lost his family, his ministry, his health, and then his life. Alcohol, alcohol and financial responsibility did him in. He wound up leaving his wife and their two Down syndrome children. At just 35 years of age, the once great preacher died from cirrhosis of the liver in a rundown motel at the edge of Amarillo. His last job was selling used cars in the panhandle of Texas. He died, as John Hagee put it, unwept, unhonored and unsung. Some pastors in Amarillo took up a collection among themselves in order to purchase a casket so his body could be shipped back east for a decent burial, burial in a cemetery for the poor. 1945, three young men with extraordinary gifts were preaching the gospel to multiplied thousands of people in arenas across this nation. Within 10 years, only one of them was still on track for Christ. Billy Graham. Amazing story, loved ones. But that's the church. That's people. That's, the, that's where we are living today. It's no different. I think of as I read this story that Faithfulness, it is not an easy road. You have to determine, you have to decide, you have to work that you're going to live for it. And while things can look pretty good in the world, Asaph reminds us that ultimately it is a slippery slope. And there's an ultimate end to it. How can you be faithful? Well, here's where I'd start. I'd read verses 1 through 12. And I'd say, I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to envy. I'm not going to compare. I'm not going to look around and see if there's a better life. I'm going to do what Billy Graham did. Templeton came to Billy Graham one time when he started telling him, because they were such good friends. He says, Billy, I'm going to leave the ministry. I don't believe it. I'm struggling with this, that, and the other. And Billy looks at him and he goes, man, I can't believe this. Are you kidding me? You know what Billy Graham did? Instead of looking around, he went into the woods. He took a long walk. He went into the woods with his Bible. He started reading the Bible. And all of a sudden, he has this epiphany, he has this revelation, he has this understanding, he says, God, I don't care what anybody else says. This Bible is what I'm going to build my life on and live my life by. I'm going to be faithful to you and to it, period. And the rest is history. I need to finish. The third thing is Asaph understands 
that God knows him and still loves him. If you've ever had something happen to you that was out of your control, whether at the hands of other humans or just something that seems so unfair to you that happened, And it's easy for us to go, how could God ever let this happen? And we begin to think that God really nowhere to be found. Uh, but think of the side, side mirrors on your car. What does it say? Objects are closer than they appear. And I want to remind you today, loved ones, if you're going to live a life of faithfulness, you can never forget that God is closer than he may appear or that he may feel. That's what Asaph, he goes into the church, he goes into the sanctuary, and he realizes God is here. He's got this earthly perspective that, oh, it looks so good out there, but then he gets shifted, and he's reminded of the love of God, and in the midst of his weakness, his frailty, that he's not perfect, he he doesn't have an ideal life. He comes and he realizes, God has been walking with me hand in hand all of my life. Oh, that's so keeping with our New Testament Christianity, love. Read Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And you just go through there, and Paul writes that, and he lists out a litany of everything that he's faced. And he says, sorry, not going to happen. This will not separate me from the love of God. I love 2 Timothy 2, where Paul says he's writing to the young preacher, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Jesse, never forget this. God is faithful even when we aren't faithful. Trust him, lean into him, believe in him. Think about this. Why would you ever buy into a world system that in the end will take whatever it wants from you and just leave you beat up, bloodied, and broke by by the road at the end of your life? But we think we can get something from it. No, we just end up going, man, what in the world happened? Asaph comes to an eternal perspective. He moves from his temporal earthly perspective to an eternal perspective that leads him beyond the temporal. And he says, you are whom I have in heaven. <laughs> Never forget this, loved ones. It's the, the heaven where the universal scales of justice will weigh perfectly and eternally. Faithfulness is like running a marathon. You know what happens when you run a 26-mile marathon? Or you just run for a long distance, about somewhere in between 15 and 20 miles, you hit the wall, you want to quit, you want to give up, and be done. But if you keep going for another mile, you know what's going to happen? All of a sudden, you're going to catch what's called a second wind, and you're almost going to feel like you're starting over. That's the way faith is. That's why Paul, see, that's where I get all my sports stuff is Paul. He's always using running and boxing and fighting and all of those things. But he says your life, your journey, your spiritual journey, it is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And when you face hard times, look up and keep going because you will get your second wind if you trust him. Stay faithful. 
privilege that I've had of being around for a long time and the blessing that I can say is your faithfulness has had an incredible effect on me to keep going. There's times I just said, I'm done. And one of you would cozy up to me. How you doing, preacher? So glad you're my pastor. It just blew wind into my sails. You know what? Your life, your lives have affected me. And I thank God, at least weekly, for that. I hope that in some way, during these years, my life has influenced yours. Because that's the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're never done. We're never down. We're always getting up. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he turn his countenance towards you and shine his face upon you from henceforth forevermore, every day, in every way. 